0: Welcome to the Community Builder Podcast. The world is our classroom, and every moment is an opportunity to understand human connection at a newer level. On this podcast, we'll explore the minds of active community builders as they strive to leave their imprint on the world. I am your host, Travis King. Let's build. Before we get started, we would like to thank our sponsor, Cruise Control Music, the ultimate audio branding experience. Cruise Control Music creates custom, authentic sounds and music to showcase your brand identity and is a direct reflection of your vision, goals, and values. If you're looking to start or level up your podcast experience, log on to cruisecontrolmusic.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Community Builder Podcast, where I sit down and interview world-class people in their given fields. And today, I'm super excited to sit down with Sherry Orell, who is a long-time, long-time role model to me, and I, she was a, the CEO of a marketing agency that I worked at as my first gig in New York, and um, really, really respect her and love what she's up to. And she's currently the president and CEO of Centered. And I'm super excited to you know, have her on the show. So welcome to the show, Sherry.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Let's start off with talking a little bit about your background and kind of let everyone know who you are and kind of what you're up to.
1: Sure. So I have been in the marketing services space for the majority of my career, almost 30 years, and started out at big corporations like News Corporation, News Corp have had some entrepreneurial experiences, have been involved in several companies that have started very small, you know, a couple million dollars of revenue and have driven them to 200 plus million dollar exits, mostly helping consumer packaged goods brands or CPG brands get their messages to the targeted consumers. So clients have included everyone from the Procter & Gamble and the Unilevers of the world to Nestle and General Mills, uh, as well as key retailers like Target and the activities ranged from anything from massive amount of coupon distribution to experiential or crazy event marketing, general agency services, strategy, digital, mobile, uh, you name it, uh, have been involved in a number of acquisitions that have added value to the company and successfully exited my former company, Brand Connections, which was private equity held in 2017 to a strategic.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for that background. I I feel like it was just yesterday that I remembered just all the things that were happening. And now you transitioned from the agency world into now focusing on building your own global brand. So I guess could you share a little bit about why you just started why you decided to join the Centered team as their president and CEO?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. This is absolutely the first time I've been on this side of a brand. And so this has been an enlightening and illuminating and educating experience to realize that typically in my past, by the time I would have gotten involved in certain conversations, a lot of things would have had to have been done right. And so it's been a great challenge for me. And having run Brand Connections for 14 years and ensured that it landed in a, in a safe place where it made the most sense for the business, I knew I was ready to move on and spread my wings. I also knew that I didn't want to go back into a big, large multi-billion dollar corporation, and it was time to stretch my entrepreneurial abilities. And so I started asking myself specific questions and doing some research about where I might potentially, what what, what was my next move? And I'm involved with a professional networking organization called YPO, and it's a phenomenal group to be associated with. There's about 27,000 global CEOs or presidents around the world that are all Remarkably helpful. And so I reached out to this network proportionately because most CEOs and presidents globally are men. Most of the people I, I was able to speak to were men that had exited businesses and gone on to do sometimes even bigger and better things. And I asked them, What did you do? You know, did you get a headhunter? How do you even find another C level job? Where did you network? How did you decide really what was your journey? to the decision process. Most of us, when we exit a company, comes with it some sort of extended non-compete, so you typically can't go right back into the industry that you were in. So how did you navigate? And had a lot of really great conversations. And I found that most of the people I spoke spoke to were very sort of linear in their approach. What business do I want to start? What company do I want to buy? What do I want to focus in? And those seemed very helpful, but somewhat tactical questions. And some of them would give that age-old advice of, what are you passionate about? You know, do what you love and everything comes to you. And so for probably six months, I was still continuing to, to work at my former company after the acquisition. I started to try to figure out the answers to some of those questions, and those questions really weren't providing me with any clarity. So I came up with my own questions about... What was important to me. And it really boiled down to two. The first question was, what evidence do I want to spend for the next 10 years of my career? And the second one was, how do I want to feel about that time that I spend dedicated towards my career? Because obviously when you're working, you're not doing other things. You're not with your family. You're not frequently doing the things that you're passionate about. So those questions really drove the rest of my research about where I wanted to be. So the answer to the first one was, I knew I wanted to scale a business significantly. I had done it multiple times before, and I knew I wanted to take something that was a, a really great nugget of an idea. I knew I didn't want to start inventing and building in my basement and, and really start from scratch. I wanted to find a really great great company, service or product that that had some foundation built, that had scalability. And it was in a growth industry. So I knew I wasn't going to run a group within Google or Facebook or quite honestly, probably any company that my mother will have heard of. So I needed to stay entrepreneurial and scrappy. So that really dictated certain discussions that I was having that became less interesting to me. The second question was, how do I want to feel about the time that I spend? And while I'm really proud of a lot of the accomplishments that I've had professionally, uh, some of them were about convincing people to buy more cereal or soap. And one of the crown jewels in a in my last job was a, a program where we created a platform where we hired over 300 women and put them in real t- retail environments and gave them a secure job with paid benefits and higher than minimum wage and a career path. And while I was proud of that and the ability to provide that to, to so many families, at the end of the day, that program was only viewed successfully if we convinced people to buy more eyeshadow and eye cream and lipstick. And those are wonderful products that I use every day, but I wanted something that really provided the ability to really truly help people live better lives, to make them happier, to achieve the outcomes that their dreams could potentially lead them to. So I knew I needed to work with a company that I really believed in the product, service, or whatever, and not only had that ability to, to do that outwardly to any customers we would have, but culturally to, to give that internally as well. So that's really what led me to Centered. Centered was founded by Lara Morgan several years prior under the mission to create 100% natural aromatherapy, essential oil-based products that were portable. And Lara's previous business experience, she had had a grown a very successful company and ultimately sold that, but she was on the road a lot and began to learn about the benefits of essential oils, but also the impracticability of traveling with them when you're going from hotel to hotel, to airport to airport. So typically they're liquids, they leak, they're messy. And when she transacted her company, Pacific Direct, She set out on a mission to create really elegant, well-done essential oil blends that meet the most common needs that people turn to essential oils to achieve, but to do it in a solid format. And after three years of product development, Centered Lost launched a line of six products that are now positioned as part of an everyday well-being ritual, rather than them being a rescue category where you only use when you have a problem. And we can talk a little bit more about the, the positioning. But I came on board to take over the, the CEO role from Lara, who is an entrepreneur across, who has invested across many businesses now. Centered is one of them. And she's focused on the health and wellness space and has a num- number of other assets that she's facilitating as well. So that is uh, how, I, how I came to, to choose to come to Centered.
0: Thanks so much for that that background, Cherry. I feel like it's it's super exciting just because being able to go and ask yourself the what evidence do I want to see and how do I want to feel. That's something that I feel like as a someone who's earlier in their career, those are two questions that I definitely going to take with me as I continue to move because those they're, it seemed like they seem like they've really helped you make a very very calculated and informed decision. Not only just in, in terms of your professional career, but in terms of your actual overall happiness. Like it seems like the decision that you made also had some emotion and empathy inside of, inside of it. And now that you're able to, you know, be able to be in a seat that you actually are happy with, it feels like, it seems like you're going to be more. Powerful and you're going to be more impactful and more effective in your role versus just choosing a job because you have, you know, the industry experience or whatever linear, you know, experience that you mentioned some of the gentlemen from some of the organizations kind of were making decisions based off of.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it does kind of go back to that. What are you passionate about? But really, what do you you care about? What's important to you? And I think when you use a word that's so polarizing as passion, Mm -hmm. that can be a little, that can handcuff certain people. I mean, I really like the idea of X, Y, and Z, but am I passionate about it? Can I see myself adding value to an industry that I would enjoy. So you know, asking yourself the right questions without putting unneeded, unnecessary pressure is important. And it it required me to do some of that soul searching on the how do I want to feel question. It also required me to do quite a bit of research on the scalability. So Mm -hmm. as much as I liked the fact that Centred was already a brand that was stood up, that they had already done the three years of R&D, that they had already invested seven figures financially to create and manufacture the inventory so that there would be a pipeline, I looked at the industry. And the I had to learn a lot about this element of the industry to decide if this was the scalable element that I was going to look at. So I started researching everything I could. Google is wonderful, and then some, and certainly talking to people. But I realized that the health and wellness industry is a $4.2 trillion industry going to grow close to double digits every year for the next five years. So there was growth trajectory there. Within health and wellness, there are lots of segments of that pie. And within aromatherapy, that was a growing industry as well. You've got major companies like Young Essentials, DoTerra, different business models and Centered, but are billion-dollar valuations. You have the consumer acceptance of this category at an all-time high. I think the last two or three consecutive Christmases Somebody I know has asked for some kind of a diffuser on their list year after year. So now you don't just have the diehard Eastern medicine, holistic, meditating yogis that are using essential oil and burning incense. It's right. like your grandmother and your mom and your your college kid. And it's it's definitely achieved a much deeper penetration in terms of general acceptability. And that was exciting to me. And then to also be a bit of a differentiator and a disruptor is kind of in line with my personality. I'm not someone who who, when I asked myself how I want to feel, I knew I didn't want to go into an organization where all the rules were set and everything had been figured out and everybody wears the same color shirt on Tuesdays and we're all very robotic. So when I think of entrepreneurialism, I think a little bit of freedom and of creativity. And so in looking at this category, the fact that we were a solid format in a liquid world creates a little differentiation for us that excites me. But it also gave us, gave me the opportunity to take the company on a bit of a journey the last six months, nine months since I've been here. And that one of the things that I noticed about the category, which was not really aligned with how I wanted to feel, which is and Empowered, is that the category talks about itself pretty negatively. So if you look at some of the companies that are in this space, essential oils and even aromatherapy. There's some overlap there, but they're talked about as being problem solvers, right? Can't sleep? Use lavender. Freaking out? Use this calming product. Down in the dumps? Try citrus. And so it's very, it's kind of like Advil. And as much as I love me some Advil when I have a headache, I don't think about every day. And it's just something that's there when I need it. But it's not part of my everyday. It's not providing a solution. So what I my fear with this category is that oftentimes some of the purchases are impulse purchases. You've had a great massage and somebody says, hey, you want to buy some of this oil and you get it. And you like the idea of using it as part of your everyday life, but you really, it's not practical and you haven't really been convinced of the value proposition that incorporating any new category into your life will deliver for you. And I didn't feel... That there was anybody really winning with that content and that messaging. And I felt that there was a huge opportunity to be that voice and to switch things from a positive perspective. And so we, the first thing that we did is we started talking about this category from a positive perspective, right? So it's not, you're down in the dumps, use our happy product. It's use our happy product when you're happy and you're doing the things that you love the most to reinforce those feelings and emotions that you're having and underscore that with a scent that later on when you want to recreate those moments of happiness maybe fill in the blank maybe when you are a little down incorporating the scent back into that moment will help recreate those feelings and uplift your spirit that's a much nicer way than saying, missing your mom, feeling blue, reach for be happy. So there's a lot of science that's too much to explain in an hour-long podcast that goes into explaining the connectivity between your sense of smell and the part of your brain where habits and memory are formed. But we want to teach people the value proposition to linking activities, feelings, and emotions with scent, so that you can drive the outcome when you use that scent of how it is that you want to feel And how it is that you want to think. So one of the biggest things we've done with the brand since I came over is we've repositioned our six products as part of your everyday well-being ritual. And so that's what we're talking a lot about now is our well-being ritual. So we talk about it's a personalized journey. So there's no one right way to use our products. But when we give an example of how you might incorporate all six, maybe you wake up in the morning and sitting next to your toothbrush is your happy balm, And you put it on your wrist and you breathe in deeply. And there's all kinds of science around breathing that we won't get into. And you're thinking of gratitude. And you're now associating this Beautiful citrus and lemon myrtle and spearmint scent with thoughts of gratitude. And scientists will tell you that when you express thoughts of gratitude, it actually makes you happier. And now you're underscoring that with the smell that you smell first thing in the morning. And now you're in your car and you're driving to work. And maybe you have our focus balm in your glove compartment or in your middle middle section of your car because now you need to go to work and you've got three months three intense meetings before work, and people have said that our focus bomb is better than coffee, and so this is your brain's signal that it's go time. And then maybe by the afternoon, you're realizing that you have four more projects than you could possibly get done in the day, and you reach for our distress product because this reminds you, do what you can, stay in control, and it features chamomile and neroli and mandarin and all the scents that we know help people have that mental clarity that they need to to stay in the space that they want to be. And then maybe you're leaving work and now it's time for you to do something for yourself, whether you're going to go for a walk in the park or you're going to go to the gym. It's now time for escape. And this is the scent that you use to signify that this is me time from going from what you have to do to doing what you want to do. And then you get home that night and you're reflecting on the day, you're alone. It's time for some self-care. Maybe you're binge-watching your favorite show, maybe you're making yourself your favorite dinner, maybe you're with a loved one and you want some emotional connectivity, you might reach for our love balm, which is warm and grounding. And then your nighttime routine that you've settled into and do on a nightly basis, before, before you go to bed, you use our sleep well product, and it's a signal to your mind to transition from the busy day to the importance of sleep to give yourself the best shot for a great day tomorrow. And that's how you could begin to incorporate a well-being ritual into your life every day that's positive, that allows you to transition from moment to moment, that allows you to to sort of game your brain using the power of sense to mindfully transition your, your mindset and your thoughts, and then therefore the emotions that come with that as your day changes and as they all change. And there's no one right order, but that's just an example of how we've taken this this really lovely product and now are beginning to teach people how its the category itself could be relevant in your daily life not just some random vial of lavender oil that rolls around the bottom of your drawer in your bathroom and you really don't know what to do with it
0: i love that and it's i actually well cuz you're on the phone but i have my video going so as you were talking about each one i was i forgot to put up the focus but I did sniff the be happy because I have a little bit of that left, and I have the escape, the focus, and the de stress. And I have yet to try the love one, so I'm. Yeah,
1: you probably have. I, I think I sent you the mini tins, and that that one didn't have love in it. But love mm-hmm. is great. It's uh it's a wonderful scent. Yeah, And we do the balms and we do the candles and we've expanded into hair and body care. But at the end of the day, we believe that the idea of being centered, and I love the brand name, we were recently able to get the .com, which took a, a bit of finagling. So, But the, the idea of surrounding yourselves with multiple products in a category, could there be a men's line, a baby's line, a cleaning line, a home line? I, I see this as definitely a platform concept that can create that memory connectivity and really transport you. And everyone has had one of those experiences, or many, where you are doing something and suddenly a scent crosses your path in some way. And you are immediately transported to another moment of time. And the memories that you had when those scents were present create an emotional connectivity. And so, for example, You could be at a restaurant with a buddy and a woman walks by wearing a perfume. And if your grandmother used to wear that perfume, you now have a memory associated to that and emotions linked. If you loved your grandmother because she was a wonderful woman, You with your buddy didn't ask for your emotions to change, but they will slightly evolve because you'll be filled with warm, fuzzy memories, positive emotions associated with the love that you had for your grandmother. If she was a terrible woman that used to lock you in the closet, that same cement has a different meaning, different experiences, and then therefore your brain dutifully provides you those emotions, whether you asked for them or not. And your mindset has now changed sitting across from your buddy at dinner. And so what we want to teach people is that they actually have the power to somewhat game their brain by inserting smells at specific times connected to specific meaning that you can control. Allows you to be able to recreate certain emotions on demand. And I think that's a, a pretty powerful, exciting bit of data that most people are unaware that they have that level of power that they could incorporate as part of their daily lives.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's really smart because at the end of the day, it's, it's up to us to figure out what works for us. And if you're giving the tools as simple as a bomb that you could put in your purse and carry on your way to work, And if you can work this into your daily ritual and your daily habits, it's something that it's not only going to help change your emotions and your mood, but it's going to positively affect the outcome of your days. And a lot of times I was talking to someone yesterday, they were like, oh my gosh, it's Monday again. And I'm like, I get it. But why aren't you happy about Monday? Like you got to wake up today. Like why not be happy that it's Monday? And instead of focusing on the negatives of the work week and all the other stuff that we don't even need to go into, it's you're giving people a tool that they can literally take with them and change their moods. And I think that's something that's super, super valuable and super helpful to me because I know I've used each of these and it's, it's getting time for me to re-up on them. And it's just, it's amazing what just sniffing these bombs and putting them on your pulse points can do to your moods. And I've firsthand experienced it. So definitely love, love that, you know, you guys have had the research and you're helping people game, you know, their moods and emotions using the power of scent. I love that.
1: And, and the words do matter. So these aren't magical potions, right? right? So unless you are applying intent behind the action, then you're not necessarily creating the link that you could be doing. So for example, I have lip balm everywhere in my house, my bags. I don't like to, I just don't like the feeling of dry lips. Thank, thank you, Chapstick, for making me dependent on your products. And to me, I unconsciously and subliminally, and I'm doing it right now, by the way, put lip, lip balm on throughout the day. When my brain unconsciously tells me that my lips are dry, I can do it habitually without thinking in the middle of a podcast right? I don't have to think, oh, reach for it over here, take the lid off, twist it a little, rub it on, put the lid back on, return it, just like driving. You know which pedals are on the right, you know which one's on the left. But I don't have any intent behind that repetition other than I would like moist lips, right? So if you don't apply a different intent to the process of using aromatherapy, you might as well not do it, right? So if you are thinking something, If you have a mantra, and that can can sound like an earthy, crunchy word, but a mantra is just a sentence that you say to yourself because what you say in your conscious mind eventually embeds in your unconscious mind. And if you can link that to scent, it's just an extra brain hack. But if you use this happy stick every day and say, damn it. Why am I why am I not happier? Mm-hmm. You're not it's gonna have zero impact because words matter. And I've I've given this example and I'll shorten the story for the sake of the podcast, but there was a period of time when I had just begun to to run for exercise because as a single mother at the time, it was the most efficient way to burn calories and I could run home from my Times Square office to my upper east side New York apartment in about the same amount of time it took me to take aggravating subways and so I was trying to incorporate that and I was not enjoying it I was I'm not built to be a runner I don't like it I hate it there's all kinds of words and excuses I can say why the experience was torturous for me and I could never get to the point where I could run the entire three miles without having to stop. No matter how hard I tried, I'd been doing this for six months. I was very frustrated. I'm naturally an athlete. Athlete, It was bothering me. So I was having this conversation with a friend just unrelated and mentioning that I was running and she was like, oh, I didn't realize you were a runner. And I said, I'm not a runner. I hate running. And it dawned on me that I was actually self-sabotaging myself because When I would actually go out running, I would put my shoes on, and I would hate the sight of my own shoes, and I would begrudgingly go outside, and I didn't have headsets on with music because that's asking for death if you went through a midtown in Manhattan without being able to hear somebody honking or behind you. So I would play this own little song in my head, and I realized that my song went something like this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate running, I freaking hate this. And I would subliminally play that song for my entire run. And I realized that I was self-sabotaging myself to ever get past the point of this being a miserable experience. So I decided that I would take some of my own knowledge of how the brain works and apply it to my own problem. And I changed my song. And I intentionally changed my song to positive things. How fortunate I was. How lucky I was. How glad that I was that I was healthy. That I live in a country where I can go out on a run as a woman without an escort. I created a series of realities that were serving me. And I would say them at the beginning of my run and then they would just sort of play in the background as a talk track and I would think about what I had to do that day and all the benefits of what happens when you're out running and you can clear your head. And what happened over a period of about two and a half weeks, as I finished one of my runs on my way home one day and I had realized I had run the whole thing for the first time in six months of trying to run the three miles, I had run without even thinking and it was not mind over matter like just go to the next block or whatever because I had changed my talk track, because running to me now went from the thing that I had to do to the thing that I was allowed to do. It was a gift, it was something positive. And so in a world where there's so much opportunity to be negative, whenever I find myself, and as you will agree, Travis, because I've done this with you in your past, whenever I hear a negative word that somebody says, if it's an appropriate teaching opportunity, I might stop that person in their tracks and say, Let's reframe that. Let's reframe that in a way that that serves you. And that's what we're trying to do with this line of product and underscore that with the power of scent to really reinforce that message.
0: Yes, you do. And I will back that up 100%. Like you did it when I was brand connections and you did it earlier on this call. You literally stopped me right in my tracks and we're like, nope, no, nope, nope, not that one. Let's, uh, let's try that again in a positive way. And that's something that I like love you for. And a lot of times it's it's hard when you're when you're inside of it. And and now like looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, like just that one word is something that can literally hold back.
1: Yeah, and it was a simple word. It was a mistake. And we're not going to bore the podcast listeners with with what we talked about. But there are so many other ways to to reframe a situation from being a mistake to being something positive. So yeah.
0: Oh yeah, of course. And that that's one thing just with keeping a positive mindset that, you know, it just becomes habit once you once you start to build it and then soon enough all of your words are just going to be only positive and there's no negativity in your world and that's a beautiful place to operate.
1: It, it is. And then one other one other point of differentiation that I'm really passionate about and more so every day is the sustainability. Now that I am on the side of the brand for the first time and understanding the reality of manufacturing and Tough choices that a business has to make to protect margin, as well as manufacturing decisions, locations, shipping, everything. And so there's plastic in our product. The majority of it is either recyclable or already recycled. The paper that we use and our cardboard is recycled. We're very mindful to minimize. Any, we, we scrutinize and question everything and can we make this more efficient? But we're a startup and we're, we're, in certain instances, we're not manufacturing at a scale where we can afford to do certain things that are a little bit more of a luxury when you're trying to get a brand off the ground. But so we are keenly focused on becoming 10% better every every day, every month, every year with what we currently do in our manufacturing process. But an area of unique focus for us is the creative reusability of our packaging so it's not just about the recycle recyclability of what we what we need to use and the reduction of anything that's unnecessary it's about mindfully making manufacturing manufacturing decisions that sometimes actually increases the amount that we include in our in our packaging but significantly increases the chances that that packaging will have a life beyond just carrying our product. And I'll use the example of the product, which I think you have in your office right now is our a mini tin carrying case. So you go online, you buy this from Centered. It's got five of our balms in it. You use the balms. When the balms are done, this insert comes out and there's all kinds of things that you can do with this. The, the branding is quite minimal on the top. It's with our freeze. And we've seen people do everything from business cards to tampons to makeup to pens, you name it in these, in these tins. But these, these have a, a life beyond simply just the manufacturing process of our, of our product. We do this with our candles. Our candles are a very high quality etched glass with our beautiful freezer around the side that can be used to serve custard. They could be used as glasses. They could be used as decoration, as vases. So we, we have put a lot of thought already, and we are putting a significantly great deal of thought into our futuring adjustments and our manufacturing process of how to make every element of our packaging work a little harder. So, hey, why don't we print on the inside of the packaging as well and we educate people about our well-being ritual or how to use the product so that we can we can make every inch of anything that we have to to manufacture work a little harder. When we launched our hair and body care line, we used 100% recycled recycled plastic which People use the word recyclable a lot, but this is plastic that is already recycled. And we are focused against distribution initially primarily through the hotel and hospitality industry because our mission is to to convince the luxury hotel providers of the world to move away from providing all of those heart-wrenching single-use plastic bottles of shampoo and conditioner and body wash that are filling our landfills globally and move to to dispenser systems that will eliminate tens of millions of pounds of plastic every year. And inside these lovely, beautiful recycled bottles is a 100% natural aromatherapy-based product that people can feel good about. So those are some areas that we're we're keenly focused on. And again, being that differentiator, coming in with a different approach and a different message uh, is really exciting to some of the conversations that we're having with some of the world's leading hotel lines and some of the biggest retailers in the world.
0: That's exciting. I feel like too, based off of speaking of like like hotels and being able to help move them from you know the products that they've been using. I'm curious too. I was taking it doing some research on the Senate brand, and I noticed that you guys have a corporate well being program. It looks like.
1: Yes. So that is a, an exciting program. has lots of room for growth. Essentially, what we've done primarily in the UK so far is we've created a program that allows us to send a facilitator into a corporate environment. Like, Let's say, for example, what we did at Visa, where many companies are understanding that the overall well-being of their employees is significant, not only to retention, but to productivity, happiness, and gosh darn it, it's just kind of important to care about your employees beyond what they can do for you. And so many of them have various forms of well-being initiative, whether it's the scrappy agency or company that brings in the massage people on a Thursday so that everyone can relax for a little bit, to those that subsidize through their healthcare, gym memberships, et cetera. So there's there's lots of awareness that this is something that. that corporations should take some responsibility for. And so we get hired to go in and do whether it's a lunch and learn or a morning session or something in the afternoon or after work. And depending on the the corporation's needs, we will facilitate different experiences. So one might want to have yoga over lunch. And so we'll bring in a yoga expert and we'll provide centered products and we'll talk about the connectivity of of scent to yoga, ways to incorporate breathing techniques into your normal day when you can't just whip out a downward facing dog in the middle of a meeting. Others are a little bit more holistic, more proactive with group of, group sessions. Some of them are more continuity programs where we go in over a series of certain number of weeks or certain number of months. So they're all very custom curated events. And quite honestly, most of them have happened because we've been approached by companies that are saying, we need help in this particular area. And because our scent-based products are very personal and they're not a spray that's going to go in the air, they're a balm that it will, will roll onto your wrist that allows us to... Not have situations where we're going into companies and blanketing the whole room or the whole office with a certain scent that might not be appealing to people who are more sensitive. So it allows them to be a little bit more self-selective, which you, with who to a scent than other formats. So yeah, it's definitely a growing area and we're seeing more and more momentum.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's really smart. And I feel like I can speak right to that. I definitely had a, I used one of those diffusers at a previous company. And if someone didn't like the smell or scent, they let me know immediately. And I was like, really, oh, I'm just trying to relax. <laughs> but yeah. I definitely could. That's, that's
1: yep. the challenge. And it can be a little overpowering. And so our product is in shea butter and moringa, which are two natural ingredients. And they're designed to not be greasy, so you're not gonna end up with a big stain on the sleeve of one of your nice work shirts. But they're they're really designed to elegantly absorb into the bloodstream. It's really a personal sensory experience. This isn't fragrance. You're not gonna put something on in the morning and all day long people are gonna ask you what you're wearing. It's it's designed intentionally that a short time later, half hour, or 45 minutes, whatever. When your mind state probably needs to move from moment to moment, you can actually grab a completely different scent in the portfolio and apply it and experience it as it was intended. So you're not creating this challenging layering effect by by using more than one product throughout the day.
0: Right. And now that makes sense. And it sounds like I definitely would love to, to transition into we know talking about what it means to be centered, right? Like, I feel like there's so many definitions out there and people talk about chakras and balance and all these sorts of other things. But I guess from your position and your point of view, what does it mean to be centered?
1: You know, I think, like you said, there's so many different definitions and it means different things to different people. It's about being mindful and purposeful. I think are probably the two words that would apply across, any one element that is within the, the idea of holistic medicine, yoga practice, meditation, chakra. the concept that translates across all of that is intention and presence of mind. So within any moment, you know we can run through life a thousand miles an hour, the concept of stopping to smell the roses is also part of the concept of being mindful, purposeful, and an intent. Because if you are not going through your life taking either constant assessment or periodic check-ins of where you really are emotionally, physically, and mentally, you're just really going through the motion. And you look back and you're like, what did I do all day? What did I do all week? And then that's when people start to really ask those deep questions like, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? And and so the idea of taking regular stock and being a little bit more in control of where you are intentionally helps you go to that next step forward with a little bit more purpose and intention rather than just aimlessly bouncing from lily pad to lily pad as a frog in a pond, you're actually going in a certain direction. And then maybe you pivot that direction intentionally. But I think that there is generally a much more feeling of contentment, probably control, and overall satisfaction when you feel like you're the one making some of these decisions, making these calls for your own life, there's just a more general satisfaction than if you're simply feeling like you're the victim of your circumstances and you're just going going with the flow and you don't really have a say, which could really be where you are. You may be in a job that you don't like. You may be financially in a situation that you can't control. You may be in a relationship that's not ideal for you. You may be geographically someplace that doesn't appeal to you. But the state of mind that you choose to present to those moments really does have an overall impact on your happiness and when when they talk about the pursuit of happiness and happiness as being a state of mind when you read about buddhism at, at any level you know you realize that people can be happy in sometimes seemingly the most awful circumstances there's been stories of people who survived the holocaust that were able to to experience certain levels of Happiness and joy in horrendous situations because of the way that they were framing their situations at the time, the way that they chose to think about it. People in prison, right? can can take transformations, can't control their surroundings, and there's no getting out. so so the idea of being centered is about mindfully and purposely, giving meaning to where you are physically and mentally and emotionally at various check-ins. And the ultimate Zens are going to sit around and do this for hours on end through meditation, and others sometimes, some of us just need that moment of, you know what, I really am fortunate that, that, I, that I have what I have. There's a lot of, most religions involve some form of prayer, acknowledgement, and giving thanks is key to most prayer methodology. And the the beauty of that, as I said before, the science of gratitude has a positive impact. When you are more grateful and you can genuinely express feelings of gratitude about just about anything, you will be more grateful. You will be happier and you will be more satisfied than when you don't. Because when you don't, what typically you leave your mind to do is to think of what's wrong, what's missing. What I don't have. What's wrong with this person that I'm in a relationship? What don't I like about my job? What's missing in my life? And if you allow the brain capacity, it will fill itself with something. And if you can create either habits, because you maybe more naturally think of what's missing, you can reset that. Some of us are naturally more more optimistic than others, so that becomes a little easier for us. But it really is it really is a choice, and that's really what. What centered is is about? It's that choice to take that mindful moment and acknowledge something that works for your favor, something that's serving you and serves the outcome that you're trying to achieve.
0: I love that. I, I definitely love the the centeredness and being able to be mindful and purposeful behind you know your actions and your decisions. Because I definitely definitely understand and just from a personal note, I've gone through so many ups and downs and now it's it's being able to just only stay in the ups and realize that gratitude is something that I've actually recently started doing more of. And I have you ever heard of the five minute journal?
1: Yes, I have I have heard of the five minute journal. It's it's a great uh it's a great practice.
0: Yeah it's definitely definitely been helping me a lot of just like waking up in the morning and just talking about some of the things that you know I'm looking forward to for the day. Then also being able to reflect at night on some of the things that went well. And then also on some of the things that, you know, I could have improved upon. So it's just a very simple thing that I had to get myself to start doing just to add another gratitude practice in to keep myself in a, in a happy place. But then also just very helpful to go back and take a look at, you know, what happened today, like keeping that yeah. in, like you mentioned.
1: Yep. Yeah. And you know, to feel like there was a purpose. One of the practices that I've had for a while and I've instituted in the companies that I've worked with, and you might recall from the time that you worked uh, at the same company is the idea of using your calendar to plan to succeed.
0: Goal setting. Day. I right? remember that. We did that in yeah. the
1: <laughs> Exactly. So it's not just about, I have a conference call with such and such and that, that one meeting is on my calendar. It's where, what's where's the white space? What's in my email box? What are some things that I know I need to do and focus on? And so I create appointments with myself to make sure that I'm staying on track and I can get everything done, which is great. It's a great organizing tool, so you know, highly recommend it, but but it also forces me to shift things throughout the day. So maybe I thought I was going to do 15 things today and I only got seven of them done, so I've got to find time later on in my week to to find time to do them. Also, maybe something that really only should have taken a half hour took me an hour, so much like a food journal, when you have to write down every time you eat a cookie, you're less likely to eat the cookie. That's why food journals work. So if if there was something and I'm keeping myself accountable throughout the course of the day, I might have to say, oh, I just spent a half hour researching something that really isn't going to provide any value for the overall business, but I have to write it down. So you can look back at the end of the day and feel two things equally and sometimes independently. I got a lot done today and I feel I, I crushed it and I feel good. Now I can close my laptop and shift gears and feel good that I there was enough quantity quality of my activities to, to serve my purpose. And then other times I could say, Ooh, I want to get a little bit better with that. I need to figure out a way to be more efficient with that because that's going to free up more time for me to do awesome things later. So the idea of figuring out ways so that you can feel that your mission was accomplished goes back to the whole intent and purpose. And if you, cause there's lots of people out there that say they want certain things and then they don't do the things to, to, to get there, right? So little things, whether it's your five minute journal, whether it's goal setting at the end of the year, or the beginning of the year, whether it's a constant day, daily check-in on your how you spend your time, whether it's stopping, setting an alarm or putting blocks in your calendar that says, take this five minutes, stand up, go for a five minute walk and think these thoughts for this desired outcome. There's a thousand things and tricks and, and and ways to to accomplish that and so and then keep it fresh you know after a while something might get stale and isn't working and the human brain and body and mind needs variety so shake it up a bit but always for the same purpose
0: right you know that makes so much sense and it's that's super helpful awesome so I'm looking and know we're coming up on time because I want to be mindful of that. I think we have about 13 minutes or so left, it looks like. Okay. So there are a couple of things. So I kind of want to let you take this. And so I have one question about your journey, working with brands, building entrepreneurial organizations through organic growth partnerships, strategic acquisitions. And then I also have a question about staying connected and grounded. Definitely want to finish off with what's next. But the freestyle portion is kind of like the place where I let guests insert any current challenges that they're facing or, you know, what your dream community or initiative would look like or anything that you'd like to chat about. So I'd want to give you the last 12 minutes or so to pick, you know, and choose your, your, your path.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've probably talked about Centered quite a bit and how I got here. I think something that you and I had talked about that had come up of uh, the idea of women in business. Mm-hmm. And the reality and the per- perception of barriers of proverbial glass ceilings, of inequality in in income and in opportunities. And I feel again, fortunate to be, you know who I am and born where I was, and had the support system that I had. And so I feel like there is definitely, a movement and an awareness of some of the disproportionate things like compensation right whether it's in the everyday jobs of the world all the way up to the Hollywood elites that are that are taking a little bit more of a public stand about the disproportionate in in income equality there's still highly disproportionate number of government officials and of business leaders that are that are men versus women but i think that the idea of of having the opportunities that we have and approaching those with a little bit of calculated, what I like to call calculated fearlessness, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean jump in way in over your head and figure out how to swim all the time, although sometimes that that might be what that that means. But it's about, you know, and and Cheryl Sandberg, with her leaning in book, made a lot of really great points, and I thought that that book was timely at the at that moment to explain maybe potentially some of the ramifications behind the decisions that women make that create this self-perpetuating reality. So one example from that book is that the tiny little decisions and verbal and nonverbal cues that women can sometimes get when they're uncertain about pursuing an opportunity could send the message that I'm leaning out. So, hmm, I want to have a baby and if I take this promotion am I going to be traveling too much or my my I'm getting married and I have to plan a wedding or I need to relocate back to be closer to my parents they're getting older or or my husband just got a promotion and we might be moving and so there's a thousand things that women and not uniquely women by the way people are faced with decisions and probably a disproportionate high percentage of the time a woman might feel a sense of duty to be nice and a team player being the nurturers, and I'm putting that in in air quotes, and might think, gosh, you know, if I take this opportunity that someone else could have and I'm not really sure with where I'm going or what I want, that wouldn't be very nice. That wouldn't be fair. So, I'll raise my hand, but only a little. And if I don't get it, I'm okay with that. There's a thousand reasons why women tend to do things. And so, you know, the idea of of putting yourself in the position where you're getting the offer and saying no is a much stronger position of power and opportunity than unknowingly putting yourself in the position where you didn't have to say no because you really didn't pursue it. To the degree that you had to actually consider the yes or no. And I think that men do that a little bit more than women. I think you know, if they're going on the job interview, they want to, they want the offer, even though they really don't want the job. And maybe it's because they're pursuing a couple of other jobs equally, and this is their third or their fourth choice. But that competitive spirit of i want I want five job offers that they want me and I want to turn down four is is not as considered as feminine of a position of a mindset of a behavior as I think is, is it is masculine. And so for women being a little bit more fearless, you know, like let's get the win first and then we'll decide if we really want it. So go after it as if you want it. And then you'll be in a much better position to evaluate the opportunity and you can decide yeah or nay, but it is is—it is not impolite to walk away from opportunities that have been presented to you. Uh, it is very common to create scenarios where those tough decisions are never really have to be made because the opportunities don't manifest themselves because death by a thousand decisions, the opportunity didn't come to you. So that's... Uh, sort of where I'm looking at continuing to mentor, at continuing to coach, at continuing to engage with our company both male and female is to provide that that level of kind of go for it mentality and and blur the lines of job responsibilities. There's no it's my job, it's not my job. So it allows people to spread their wings and maybe consider opportunities that fall a little bit outside their their main scope swim a little bit outside their own swimming lanes, so that they can can experience more and feel more of that intention, purpose, control that we talked about uh, for their own destiny.
0: I love it, and I um, I'm also thinking like I remember I forget what the the principles that you had were when we were like in the similar company, but I feel like you would have I feel like you had some like leadership principles that I remember reading about somewhere that I feel like the listeners would find very helpful. Um, would you mind sharing those if, if that's something that I'm accurately remembering?
1: Yeah, I think you're talking about the, the pillars of our company culture, which mm-hmm. were accountability, consistency, harmony, effectiveness, and empowerment. So if if you look at those words individually and define them of what they mean, both for a business as well as a human being, you start to realize that those really encapture the type of employee that you would want to have, the type of colleague that you would want to be surrounded by, the type of relationships personally that you would want to be in, and the type of person that you would want to be in a relationship. Accountability, being responsible for what you you know, do what you say, say what you do, be explicit, be reliable, right? And along with accountability, a close second is consistency. People need to know what they're dealing with. And I've told people many times, I would rather have you be consistently average and have you show up one day and be awesome and the next day and be awful, because then I never know what I'm going to get and I cannot plan around it. So figure out how to deliver your best work as consistently as possible so that that accountability is there. Effectiveness. It's not a situation, you know, you can spend your 10,000 hours shooting basketball, free throws. You can be the last one to leave the office. If you're, you can send out more emails than any other salesperson. But if you're not driving revenue, you're not really delivering on the expectations of your job. So, you know, you have to, to yourself as does your company in the position where you can actually be positioned to win. And so that's really important. And that's a mantra for managers. Harmony. It doesn't matter how many good apples there are in the bunch. If there are a few bad apples, it can absolutely negatively impact overall happiness at the, an office level at a company level. Um, when too many people are allowed to indulge in too many negative sentiments, it makes it so much easier for everybody else to sort of start doing that too, because fun to complain and, and that can really uh, derail an organization. So, uh, Looking for people and teaching people how to be harmonious in corporate environments is key. And then the last one is empowerment. And this sometimes is more so on the responsibility of a manager than it is on, on one of their direct reports. But some oftentimes the least effective business units or divisions in an organization are failing because the leadership fails to properly empower their team. Either they're not letting go, they're not being explicit in their expectations, they have the wrong people in their their organization that can't actually do the job. And then once that is running correctly, if you've got managers that have empowered the right people, you have to be able to hold the people up so that they feel comfortable to occasionally fail because no one is perfect. And if you've created a scenario where I'm going to empower you, but the moment you screw up, I'm, you're under the bus is not a safe environment, which means people are gonna hold back, which means you're not gonna get the best work out of people. If you create an environment, which I call the 80 for the 20, which as soon as somebody is doing the job or making the right decisions 80% of the time, you cut them loose, knowing that that 20% gap will occasionally cause a mistake to happen. And if they are of the mindset of being one of the right people, they will take that learning, they won't do it again, and then the way that they felt when they were the ones that made a mistake will guide them when they're faced with a similar decision later on. They don't want to recreate a feeling where they screw up and they feel bad about it, so they they make different decisions, they go the extra mile, they perform at a higher level, and get stronger, smarter. But the organization has to be structured to survive situations where 20% of the time it wasn't the best decision. Now, they can't be catastrophic decisions. You can't give somebody very junior on a totem pole uh, the ability to make major major purchasing decisions that have direct implications to relationships with accounts, margin, budget. So, you know, that the 20% that they don't do needs to be a measured and mindful 20% that the organization could recover elegantly from a mistake in that area. but once you've built somebody's confidence up then confidence is contagious and then they get more and more confident about their decisions going forward. So those are the those are the five principles that I, I live by. I measure my team around and then I have built companies around.
0: Thank you. I was like I knew there was something that I remembered and, and those were them. <laughs> awesome. So, thanks so much, Sherry, for hopping on. Absolutely. And if you could leave the listeners with one message or um, kind of like, kind of leave with a statement, what would that statement be?
1: Uh, I used to give business card engraved business card metal holders when people cared about business cards with a phrase that I didn't make up and I've researched and I don't think we really know who gets credit for it. But the idea of what would you attempt? to achieve if you knew you couldn't fail and having that expectation that there is a journey ahead of you and we all end up in the same place which is we life ends right what happens beyond life is you know certainly up for debate but but it's it's the idea of getting out alive isn't a reality. So we're all going to take a journey and your journey is your story and you can't fail your own story. It's your story. So this kind of goes back to the fearlessness a little bit. If someone sat you down at a slot machine and said, this is the machine, it's going to pay out $5 million. You just need to sit here long enough and pull this lever and it will, it will pay out. You would sit there and pull until you're off guaranteed that that was going to be your your payout, and you would spend four million nine hundred and ninety nine thousand dollars to get your five million dollars payout, right? so if if you think first about the expectation of success and the definition of that success might change over time and 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 someone guaranteed you that that you could achieve anything that you really wanted to achieve, you know what would you try? Be fearless. Be confidently fearless. Be cautiously fearless. But just because you haven't done something doesn't mean you can't.
0: I love that. That's such a great way and a great note to end on.
1: I will give you one example in case you want to swap out something. If if um, there was too much centered, mm-hmm. I'll give you a story that we can end on, and you can edit this out if you want. Perfect. But so a great example that I refer to from my my childhood was my experience being a high jumper. So I was a gymnast because I taught myself how to do some flips in the backyard, which made me a gymnast. And I was fast and spunky and kind of small. And it was the first day of track, uh, my freshman year of high school. And because I grew up in Chicago in the Midwest, that meant you were running the halls because it was too cold to be outside. And the high jump mats were set up in the gymnasium. And I was going from point A to point B, and I was cutting through the gymnasium, and one of the the girls that was a couple years older than me, who was a high jumper and like a gazelle, she was built like a high jumper. She was 5'9", and long skinny legs, and just quintessential high jumper. She was getting ready and she'd gone to state the year before and she was getting ready to do one of her jumps. And as I'm trotting through the gymnasium, I see her about ready to approach the bar. And I thought as a jokester, I'd sort of sprint in front of her and cut her off and and jumped over the bar and rolled off the mat. And I'm kind of laughing because she's got to start her approach all over again. And I didn't realize that the coach was standing right there or I probably wouldn't have pulled my shenanigans. And he starts yelling at me and I um, assumed I was in trouble. And so in my mind, I was hearing him say, who do you think you are? Why did you do that? I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was just being funny. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And then he stopped me and he said, no, no, what made you think you could do that? And I really didn't get the question. I was like, "Uh, I, I don't really understand. And he said, you just cleared that bar, which is only a couple of inches below state qualifying height. What made you even try that? What made you think you could clear that? And quite honestly, it, it hadn't occurred to me to think that I couldn't. If before I would have interrupted the, the gazelle, somebody would have said, whoa, 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 hey, if you want to try high jump, I'm all for that. We need to lower this about six inches because there's no way you're going to be able to clear this height because you have no technique. You've never done it. You're too short. And I would have been, okay, great. But nobody said that to me. And so I cleared the bar very, very inelegantly, by the way. But I went on to become a state qualifying high jumper. So the idea of either not assuming in the beginning that you can't do something or viciously rejecting other people's opinions of what you can and can't do is definitely one of the many helpful uh, keys to success in achieving achieving your goals and achieving your dreams.
0: I love that story. That is a perfect story. Perfect, perfect story.
1: Thank you. I hope it it inspires. I hope it's useful. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk to you today.
0: You got to Talk soon, Sherry. Thanks for listening to the Community Builder Podcast. If you received an ounce of value from this podcast, share it with your friends. Oh, yeah. Don't forget to leave me a five-star review. I need those. Remember, each perfectly laid brick moves you one step closer to building your community.